We're going to turn back to that portion of scripture that we've just read, uh, which is from 2 Samuel and chapter 6. 2 Samuel and chapter 6. I'm just going to read a few verses again from here. We're going to start a little bit earlier on, which I should have done last time, from verse 13 rather than verse 17. Uh, So I'm from verse 13. We read just preceding that. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. Verse 13. And it was so that when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of a trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place, in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And as soon as David had made an end of offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he dealt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well to the women as men, to everyone a cake of bread, and a good piece of flesh, and a flagon of wine. So all the people departed every one to his own house. Then David returned to bless his household. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants, as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself. And David said unto Michal, It was before the Lord, which chose me before thy father, and before all his house, to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore will I play before the Lord, and I will yet be more vile than thus, and will be base in mine own sight. And of the maidservants which thou hast spoken of, of them shall I be had in honour. Therefore Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child unto the day of her death. Amen. We'll leave the reading just there. Let's bow our heads and ask the Lord's help this evening. Eternal God, as we turn once again to the word, we pray that thou wast help us to draw from it the lessons which may be beneficial to our own hearts. And Lord, we pray that thou wast give us insights to the scripture, that we might meditate upon the same. And Lord, that we might hide them within our own heart in times of temptation in times of weakness in times of stress that we might recall uh, those things which have happened to thy servants in time past uh, that we might be strengthened by reactions which they had by determinations which they made lord that we also might be determined to glorify the lord our god and we pray our father that thou was minister to us that we might be strong that we might stand in this evil day having done all to stand. For the Lord Jesus Christ has come that he might deliver us from this present evil world. And Lord, we pray that we might see it for what it is and that we might see the glories of the Lord and seek after them. Thou said, when ye see these things come to pass, look up, for thy salvation draweth nigh. Lord, we pray 
that we might look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and Lord, that we might be ready to stand upon his word. Hear us then, we ask, continue with us now, and bless our souls, we pray this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. I can't really pass over this uh, portion of scripture without considering Michal and uh, what she has said here and the things which are done around her views. And so I want to consider, first of all, David's dance. That's what the views uh, which she uttered were, were concerning. Uh, she uh, despised David in her heart, we read, uh, when she saw him dancing. And we see in verse 16, And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And we want to consider David's dance, first of all. Then Michal's disdain, uh, this disdain that she has for David, first of all, and despised him in her heart. And, of course, uh, the... um, uh, sarcasm or uh, uh, sardonic statement that she makes uh, in his presence uh, she she says uh, to to him how glorious was the king of israel today who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself she scolds him and we will consider that for a moment and then, well, I've mentioned, I've named the last of these points, Saul's demise. Uh, you'll have to wait for that to see how that fits in. Uh, but uh, we'll seek to bring that to you also. So first of all, we want to consider David's dance itself. It tells us that David danced before the Lord with all his might. He danced before the Lord. David has a basic simplicity and although there is a complexity to him, of course there is. Uh, he's a poet, for, for one thing, and a, a writer, and a prophet, and uh, he is a mighty man of valor. He has fought battles, he has defeated the Philistines, he has defeated other nations also round about. He has a great following of soldiers, uh, some of them, it seems, uh, even are greater soldiers than David was. Maybe not such great captains uh, as David was, but certainly they were great soldiers, mighty men. Uh, Three of them are mentioned there in Chronicles as being mighty men. And then there are others, and they say, well, there are more mighty men. Maybe not as mighty as the first three, but there are more mighty... And these were the followers of David. David was their captain, and they were willing to follow David because they knew that David was a wise man, They knew that God was with David and they knew that there was a complexity to him. But when it comes to spiritual things, there was a simplicity also. And his simplicity was that he worshipped God, that he was the servant of God and that God was first in his life. Now, there were many times when he wavered from this, of course, uh, as there are in our lives, too. There are times when circumstances may cause us to uh, face doubts or face fears and face troubles. Uh, These things can get us down. These things can cause us to ask questions. And we know that David does so in the Psalms, which he has written. Uh, Fairly often we read the words, uh, O Lord, how long? There's a question. How long? How long wilt thou not draw near to us? How long must we go on uh, without the smile of the Lord upon us? And so on. 
And so David had those questions, but the simplicity of his life was that he was the Lord's. And it was what the Lord saw, wasn't it, originally? When he said to Samuel, go out to the house of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, because I've chosen one of his sons to become uh, the king. And uh, Samuel goes out to Jesse's house and he causes Jesse's sons to pass by him. And he looks upon them and the first one comes and he says, well, this surely is the man. Here is a man of great good stature. Here is a man who uh, is able to lead the people and this must surely be here. But the Lord said, no, it's not him. And he goes through these sons until no, no sons left. And he says to Jesse, well, the Lord says it's none of these. Do you have another son? And Jesse, as a kind of an afterthought, says, well, there, I do have another son. He's out looking after the sheep out in the hills. He's just a shepherd boy. And so Samuel says, well, bring him. And he brings him in. And the Lord says, this is he. Anoint him. And this is simplicity of David. David the shepherd. David is a, is a young man. He uh, is ruddy of face, which we took at the time we were considering David as being a, a, a man just on the, on the cusp of manhood, uh, the, the ruddiness of face, perhaps speaking of the fact that he didn't have, he didn't have enough beard to actually shave yet. Uh, and uh, probably that's what it means. So well, we have to guess at his age. We're not told how old he was, but maybe 15, 16, 17, uh, possibly younger. We, we don't really know uh, at what point uh, uh, shaving began in those ages. Uh, it seems uh, that these things change in different eras uh, of the world. Nevertheless, he was a young man. And his simplicity was he looked after the sheep. There was a complexity about him. He knew how to fire uh, a stone from a sling uh, at a hair's breadth. He could fight against the lion and against the bear, uh, and so there was a strength to him. But nevertheless, he was a man who worshipped God, and in his simplicity, now, in that just plainness of the worship of the Lord, he brings up the ark of the Lord. He's not proud of his, of his accomplishments. He's not a man who is saying to himself, well, I've managed to secure the kingdom. I've managed to draw the people to me. I've managed to go down and, and to take up the ark of God, which has been, well, it, it, it was lost at one point under the sons of Eli. It was in the hands of the Philistines and brought back up. It went aside into a house and, and I've, I've found it. And, and it is me who is able to bring it up, not just bring it up to my house, but to bring it up to Zion because I've taken the, ca- the, the castle of Zion. I can bring it up to Jerusalem and it can abide there in the tent that I have made for it. Presumably the old tabernacle, which would have been quite ancient at that time, had fallen into disrepair. I'm not sure how you can repair cloth uh, uh, sufficiently, but it was never to be remade. So therefore you couldn't replace the curtains, uh, you couldn't replace the parts, but uh, he made a tabernacle nevertheless for the ark. But he's not, he's not interested in all those things. He's, it's just this very simplicity of bringing the ark of God from this house where it had been up to Zion, which had been the stronghold of the Jebusites, even since Gideon had come into the, to the land. And although they had taken it once under Gideon, uh, it had soon fallen back to the Jebusites again. And now it was coming up. But there was no, no pride about him. It was just the very fact that, that the Lord was there, that, that, that this ark of the Lord was coming up. 
That the Lord was to be exalted. That the Lord was going to be brought to his proper place. Oh, that we might have such a passion in our hearts that the Lord would have the right place, the rightful place. A place of, 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 uh, of the highest uh, standing within our own lives. I wonder what our households are like. I wonder if the Lord has first place in our house. Does the Lord have first place when we arise in the morning? Does the word of God have a place within our lives that we read it and meditate upon it? Does the Lord have a place that we come and we meet with him and glorify his name? Is it our desire that he should come? There's a, uh, that chorus isn't there that uh, there's a flag flying high from the castle of my heart because the king is in residence there. And David's desire is to bring the king to his residence in Zion. And that there might be, as it were, this, this banner of the presence of the ark of God in Zion. Do we have that desire? That the Lord should be in our hearts. That the Lord should be in our midst. That the Lord should be central to our lives, to our families, to our work, to everything that we do. Do we have this desire? Is that our simple desire? To know the Lord, that we might go on to know him. And then we see that David, David's mind, David's thoughts, David's uh, meditation is upon the things of God. Uh, and I've called this not just his simplicity, but his symphony. A symphony is a bringing together of sounds. And we find here that as they go up to bring the ark, there is music to be played. And they play, uh, presumably, as they did the first time in verse 5, upon these all manner of instruments made of firwood, which we read in verse 5. This is before, of course, Uzzah was, was uh, struck down. Uh, but there were the psalteries and the timbrels and the cornets and so on. And now in verse 15, so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. But if we turn again to First Chronicles, which we have looked at uh, with Second Samuel, First Chronicles and chapter sixteen. Just to refer, actually, just to verse fifteen, uh, verse twenty-eight of chapter fifteen of First Chronicles. Thus, all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting, with the sound of the cornet, with trumpets, with cymbals, making a noise with psalteries and harps. This is the same point, of course. Uh, it goes on in verse twenty-nine. It came to pass as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the city of David, that Michal, the daughter of Saul, looking out at the window, saw King David dancing and playing, and she despised him in her heart. So this is a, a, the parallel passage to First uh, Samuel. So in the uh, in the sixteenth chapter, though, we read in verse seven. Then on that day, David delivered first this psalm to thank the Lord into the hand of Asaph and his brethren. Asaph was the, uh, a singer. Uh, we come across his name quite often actually in the Psalms. I haven't referenced any of those Psalms, but when you come across him, you'll find uh, that Asaph is mentioned there in the Psalms quite often as David uh, writes particular Psalms and delivers them to Asaph. And so he writes this Psalm. Here is his symphony. This is the symphony of David. This is to bring together the songs and to sing unto the Lord. Just look at some of the words from verse 8. 
Give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing unto him. Sing psalms unto him. Talk ye of all his wondrous works. Glorify, glory ye in his holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. And so on. He is to praise the Lord. And that is what he desires to do. This again is the simplicity of David's heart. Uh, his life at this point is, is all focused upon the Lord. It's a wonderful thing when we have a, a, a peace around us and we can focus on the Lord. Because David's life hadn't been a peaceful one, had it? Uh, David had been drawn from the sheep coat, as we have read. Uh, he was made into um, one a minstrel played before Saul in the court of Saul. Uh, very different to being out on the hills in the quiet, listening to the birds at the dawn, looking at the stars in the night time, uh, watching the sheep as they wander and as they eat, caring for them into a palace. I suppose a bit like going from the countryside and going and living in a city. Lots of people uh, find that extremely hard if they are to do so. It does work the other way around as well. Uh, apparently, some have said that they have left a city and gone out to the countryside and they just can't stand it. Uh, so it works both way around. But his, his, his life is, is uh, turned upside down. And then, of course, Saul seeks to kill him. And then he's in this turmoil and his mind is on about how he can escape being killed, what he's going to do next, where can he escape to, how is he going to get around these different problems. But now... Peace has come. He's defeated the Philistines. He's defeated the Jebusites. There is peace in the land. Israel is with him. Saul's house has, has been uh, broken down and destroyed. Those who followed Saul are now on his side. Now he's at peace. Where does his mind go? It goes to the Lord. That's a very important thing. It just occurs to me that sometimes when we're at peace, our mind doesn't go to the Lord. Our mind goes to, well, what can I do now? What can I gain now? Where shall I go? Maybe I need a new job. Maybe I need to have new uh, pleasures in this life, new pastimes. Uh, perhaps we uh, need some kind of a, a hobby to do. But our mind doesn't go to the Lord. But David's does. In his simplicity, his mind goes to the Lord and how he may glorify the Lord. It's no wonder then that the Lord in the beginning said that David was a man after his own heart. But then we see also David's spontaneity. In uh, verse 14 of 2 Samuel 6, David danced before the Lord with all his might. David was girded with a linen ephod. So he was just like the, the priests who are there. He has a garment upon this, as we read in, in uh, the first Chronicles. He has another garment, but he casts that off, and underneath there is the linen ephod. It's just a simple garment. There is none of the glories of state. He is not making himself above the people. He is just one of the people. When he comes into the presence of the Lord, there is not one who is greater than another. We are all equal in the sight of the Lord. That's a, a tremendous thing. Of course, there is a hierarchy in some branches of uh, Christendom uh, within the church with bishops and archbishops and uh, cardinals in, in uh, some parts of, of what is called uh, the Christian church. And so there's a kind of a hierarchy and one answers to another and uh, only these can do this thing and only those can do that thing. And, uh, and there's this, there's this uh, working out in the minds of men. But before the Lord, we are all equal. 
Why are we all equal? Because we're all saved by the blood of Christ. We're not saved by our works. We're not saved by our looks. We're not saved by our strength. We are saved by the grace of God. And so every single person, whether they be uh, uh, raised up in the esteem of men or not, are equal in the sight of God. And David demonstrates this in his garments. And he casts off all that might set him out from anyone else. And here he is in the midst of the people. And he's singing with the singers. And he is so overcome with the glory of what is going on. And the Lord coming up to Jerusalem that he dances and leaps. This is not a waltz. It's not a two-step. It's not an interpretative dance, which you might see in some churches these days with uh, a few people standing on the stage making uh, strange shapes to the music that has been sung. That's not what David's doing. David is just so filled with delight that he can't contain himself. And he is dancing and skipping and, and, and bounding about. And that is what Michal, of course, sees. And it's a spontaneous thing. It has just come upon him. And we think sometimes of, uh, of the, the, the dancing or the waving of hands, perhaps in a congregation. Uh, we have a, a, a British um, a kind of uh, quietness. And uh, I remember someone in college I was in, in college with, and he was to preach. And one of the first times he preach, preached, he was starting to get into his sermon. And he was standing there with his hands on the pulpit, and he was preaching. And he, he said to us afterwards, and there I was, and I was, I was preaching, I really got into it, and then all of a sudden, I started to wave my hand, and he thought, thought what, even while he was preaching, what's my hand doing up there? Just because he, he was getting into it. And David was just filled with joy as he dances before the Lord in this spontaneous thing. And he wasn't sorry. When Mikhail speaks to him about it, he says, I will yet be more vile than thus and will be base in mine own sight. Oh, when the Lord is there, when the Lord fills my heart, when, I, when I'm filled with the joy of the Lord, to dance is nothing, not a thing. I, 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 I just give myself to the worship and praise of the Lord. So we see David's dance then, a spontaneous thing. It comes from his worship. From his joy, from the blessedness of the circumstances, from the people gathered around him. Yeah, as well, the music which is around him. And we know that music is a powerful thing. We have to be very careful with music. Music conveys all kinds of things. I remember writing a, a small essay when I was in Bible college about music and what it conveys. And it was about rock music, I think, in particular, but... We know that some of this music that is written today, uh, garage, they call it, and, uh, and other kinds of music about drugs and about sex and about all kinds of things, and it comes from a, from a, a heart which is, which is depraved, and it conveys that depravity. We have to be careful with music, but nevertheless, it does move us. So we come secondly then to Mikhail's disdain. When we consider Mikhail, there are things, some things which we are told about her. First of all, we can find from the scriptures in 1 Samuel eighteen twenty 
that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. And Saul then uh, sought to use Michal against David. So it tells us two things. First of all, that Michal looked upon David, as so many others did, as, as being uh, someone who was blessed Blessed perhaps with good looks, perhaps blessed with charm, uh, blessed certainly with strength and ability, and she loved him. That's a, a, a tremendous beginning of her relationship with David. And we know that Saul uh, said that she would be his wife if he would bring him uh, the uh, hundred foreskins of the Philistines, which David duly did. Uh, indeed, he speaks of that very thing in uh, 2 Samuel in chapter 3 and uh, verse 14. He says, And David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, Deliver me my wife Michal, which I espouse to me for an hundred foreskins of the Philistines. So he did these things that he might win the hand of Michal, and Michal loved him. So, uh, when we think about her history, then there is a, her love for David. And then there's her loyalty to David. When, when Saul sought to kill David and David feigned sickness because Michal had told him that he needed to be careful. Uh, we read this in 1 Samuel 19 verse 11. Saul also sent messengers unto David's house to watch him and to slay him in the morning. And Michal, David's wife, told him, saying, If thou save not thy life tonight, tomorrow thou shalt be slain. So she is loyal to David. This is her father who is seeking to slay David. And yet she comes to David and says, you need to escape tonight. My father will kill you otherwise. And we know that she takes uh, the, uh, the, the statue and puts it in the bed uh, to fool the men into thinking that David is still there while David escapes. So she is loyal. She is a loyal person, which is a strange thing because now, obviously, she is... Uh, Berain David because of what he is doing. But she is a, a, a loyal woman, particularly at this time. But there's something else we can say about her life, and that is her learning, what she learned in the house of Saul. There is something from that very story where David was to be slain in the morning, and, and we find that she took an image. In 1 Samuel 19 and verse 13, Michal took an image. The word there for the image is the teraphim which comes from the word Rapha, a healer, and laid it in the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster and covered it with a cloth. She takes an image. Why was there an image in the house? Was not the Lord Saul's God? Had not the Lord chosen Saul? Why was this image, this teraphim, in the house of Saul? Why was it there in that room? What was the purpose of having an idol, which was a healer, in the room with David, who was supposed to be ill? Was it that there was a trust in this superstition of some kind of a healing for David? Had she been brought up with the understandings of the heathen around her? Certainly, as we looked at Saul's life all the way through First Samuel, we saw that there was never really any great love of Saul for the Lord nor any great interaction between Saul and the Lord 
And he was certainly disobedient and cast out of his kingship because he didn't follow the Lord's word. But her learning, she had been brought up in a family where the Lord was not first. She didn't really understand what David was doing when he danced before the Lord. She didn't understand the passion that was in his heart, the desire that was in his heart. To her, perhaps, the God of heaven was just like one of the gods which was elsewhere in the nation. Her history then, this history that brings her to this disdain of David, has been brought up, uh, has come to her from her home life. Uh, Saul and those who were around her. You need to keep this in mind. And just keep it in mind as well in our own lives, in our own houses. What, what are our children learning? Uh, what do they see? What do they understand of the things of the Lord? We also see her humiliation. After that she had caused David to escape, Saul comes to her and says to her, Why hast thou deceived me so, and sent away mine enemy, that he has escaped? Michal answered, He said unto me, Let me go, why should I kill thee? And so Saul gives Michal, his daughter, David's wife, to Falti, the son of Laish, which was of Galim. 1 Samuel 25, 44. Gives David's wife to another man. She is forced to marry another man. She is humiliated. She is cast out of the palace. She is given to a man uh, somewhere else. Because, well, we presume because she caused David to escape. This is her background. She's humiliated. Her understanding of the things of the Lord is limited and perhaps non-existent. We find her homecoming then. Also, as David uh, demands that before he becomes king of Israel, that he is to receive his wife. 2 Samuel 3, verse 13 and 14. And he said, well, I will make a league with thee, but one thing I require of thee. That is, thou shalt not see my face, except thou first bring Michal, Saul's daughter, when thou comest to see my face. And David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, Deliver me my wife Michal, which I espouse to me for an hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And so he restores her. She's a princess, is she not? The daughter of the king. She is also the wife of the king. She is a queen as the wife of the king. And David has not forgotten her. He has brought her back and she comes once again into the house of David. Although everything, it would seem that she should be on David's side. But there is something more and that is her hubris. She is proud. She is proud as a princess. She is proud to be the king's wife. She is proud that now, even though her father is dead, she is the queen. The first of David's wives although he has others and so he look, she looks upon him and when she sees him shame himself in her view this is not this is not the behavior of a king I am a queen I am married to you and you behave yourself in such a way dancing and leaping with the commoners and not just with the commoners, but the commoners' servants. And it is her pride. How sad. You know, we suffer a lot because of the pride of the world. 
the child of God, who loves the Lord, the world will often look down upon us and say, well, why do you go to church? Why do you read the Bible? Surely it's just a book. Not even true, they will tell us. They will look down upon us. They will seek to cast dispersions upon the word and upon our understanding and upon our wisdom. They will seek to say that we are foolish, that we are like the foolish people. And David receives this. And notice when it is. It is just after this elation. Just after this joy. This joy of bringing up the, the, the Lord into Jerusalem. And immediately... As he goes back to his own house where there should have been this, this wonderful peace and joy amongst all the people. He has met with this. So often that can be a thing also. That we are brought low immediately after some point of joy and elation. I think we might be able to say that when the Lord Jesus preached to the 5,000 when he preached upon the mountain, the mount, the Sermon on the Mount, when he had healed people, when he had done all these mighty things, had great uh, messages, and people had gathered around him, that he also would come under attack. But what did Jesus always do? He departed into a solitary place to pray. He went into the presence of the Lord, that he might be strengthened. Because the attacks always follow. The Lord Jesus says in Matthew twelve thirty four, O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. And she, out of the abundance of her heart, out of the abundance of pride, out of the abundance of her background, of her troubles, and of her lack of knowledge of the Lord, speaks these things to David. And we might receive the same. In Deuteronomy 28 and verse 46, we read of a curse upon the whole house of Israel. But it would apply, I think, singularly also. And they shall be upon thee for a sign and for a wonder and upon thy seed forever, because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. Therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee, in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he have destroyed thee. This is the curse of Mount Ebal. And here it is to come upon the people because they serve not with joyfulness. David is filled with joy and dances before the Lord. Michal looks out of the window. She's not in amongst the people. And she sees him and there is this despising of her husband. Her honour has gone. And we come to then the Saul's demise. First of all, the departed honour. David said unto Michal, it was before the Lord which chose me before thy father, before all his house to appoint me ruler over, over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore will I play before the Lord. The Apostle Paul says some, something uh, which perhaps fits in here, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. You see, Saul's house was to depart. And Michal was one of the last parts of that house. The only ones who succeeded were those who came from Jonathan. 
And although Jonathan was killed with Saul in the battle, nevertheless, he loved David, didn't he? And he knew that David would become king. And he was willing to give his inheritance to David. And his offspring continued on. But Michal remained childless. The house of Saul was destroyed at that time. But it was given to David. Because David, like Paul says, God forbid that I should glory, saving the Lord. A derelict house then was left to Saul. Because Saul never did come back, as David does here, to bless his house. And the wonderful words in 2 Samuel 6.20, Then David returned to bless his household. He comes back with his joy to bless his household. And he's met with Michal. She comes out. It says she came out to meet David. He doesn't even get into the household to bless his household. She comes out and she meets him outside. And she runs him down right there and then. But David doubles down. And David says, I will be worse than this. I will give myself to the Lord. And when we are run down by the world, let's not say, well, I'll just back off then. I won't let the world see me. But let's be like Daniel, who, although he was told that he could only worship and could only ask petitions of the king, nevertheless went to his place of prayer three times a day and he prayed before the Lord. And he was cast into the den of lions for it. But did he care? Not at all. And he worshipped the Lord. This needs to be our attitude. That when the world mock us and seek to stop us from knowing the Lord. That we say, you can say what you like. But I love the Lord. And I will serve the Lord to the end. Mikhail was a sorry character in the end. Her background, her life her circumstances were very sad but the saddest thing of all was she didn't know the Lord she didn't know the joy of the Lord and all that we that you might know the joy of the Lord for it is greater than anything this world can give